This is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. I'd like to thank our sponsors who make our podcast possible. We take our podcast with the ongoing support of Raider and Jason Sikora, our sound engineer. Raider is a hands-on IT service provider that integrates all of your needs for advanced technical support, effective communication options, and cybersecurity. Raider's motto is, you just want it to work. We understand. Please visit RaiderSolutions.com for more information. Iberia Bank and First Horizon, who are now one bank. Two relationship-driven banks, both leaders in the industry, have officially joined forces. The combination of Iberia Bank and First Horizon creates a leading financial services company dedicated to enriching the lives of their clients, associates, and their communities. I'd also like to thank Lafayette General Health, who has joined the Oshner Health family and is now Oshner Lafayette General. As one health system, Oshner Lafayette General will provide expanded services and enhanced care from the familiar faces you already trust. Oshner Lafayette General means more resources to help solve healthcare's toughest problems, reinvesting in our communities, and being further committed to health and wellness. Oshner Lafayette General, together means more. Learn more today at togethermeansmore.org. Today, we welcome Jackie and Michael Russo, authors of He Said, She Said, Branding. In their new book, they share what they've learned over their combined decades of experience working in branding and with each other. Jackie and Michael are co-founders of Brand Russo, a strategic branding agency in Lafayette. Both attended UL Lafayette, which was then USL. And just as importantly, they're parents to four children, so they stay very busy while growing their business and volunteering in the community. Jackie is a professional certified marketer. She hosts Brand Builders workshops and contributes to their company's Razor Branding blog and podcast to help clients distinguish themselves among competitors. Early in her career, Jackie worked in LA with the Creative Artist Agency and is Barry Diller's right hand. Michael has over 20 years of creative experience and has a talent for capturing the voice, character, and personality of businesses through their messaging, which helps transform them into strong and relatable brands. He's also an award-winning art director, copywriter, and designer, recognized by several groups, including the American Advertising Federation and the Silver Microphone Awards. He's a silver telly winner, but I'm going to have to let Michael explain this end of his career achievements because, Michael, I wasn't really familiar with all them. And you're both also the ultimate professionals. We're taping here in my home, in my study, and you've both put up with my puppy dog, who has been a little skittish, and Lemon, the cat, who's been meowing in the background. And uh, I want to thank you both for joining us, Jackie and Michael. It's a pleasure to it's have you pleasure. here. It's a pleasure. You have a beautiful home. We're thank glad to you. be here. So... You're all about branding. I know I hear Jackie on the radio all the time on KPL, and you do a lot for your clients. You also have the blog and the, the podcast, and Michael, you're the creative spirit behind all this. When I think of brand, I think of maybe a logo, like the Nike logo. You know, I like Nike. I like uh, New Balance, actually. I buy things because they make me feel good. But would you explain, Jackie, let's start with you, what is branding, and how can a small business in a small town figure all this out. 
You know, it's more important for small businesses really than big businesses uh, because they have less resources and they have more ground they have to cover. Um, when we talk about branding, most people think of it as the, the logo, the brand identity, the Nike swoosh, the New Balance NB, the McDonald's M. Uh, sometimes people think about it as a type of product, a brand of shoes or a brand of hamburgers. Uh, at the end of the day, we use Marty Neumeyer's definition from his book, The Brand Gap. And what he says, and I think so eloquently, is that a brand is a person's emotional connection to a company, product, or service. And so it's that emotional connection. It's the reason why you seek out New Balance shoes and somebody else seeks out Nike shoes. And it's the reason why they're willing to pay more mm -hmm. because they self-identify with that product. That product makes them feel good. Um, they're proud to wear that label on their body. Uh, or drive that label or stock their kitchen. Mm -hmm. And so we focus on that emotional connection and how our clients can help build those emotional connections better because then you're not trapped into trying to be the cheapest choice. You're considered the best choice. And people don't really make decisions based on logical reasons. They make them based on emotional reasons. They just use logic to justify their choice. Well, I think the, um, the, the truth of it is, too, is that everybody everybody has a brand, whether they, they know it or not. Mm -hmm. um, and And... and what we talk about a lot is that you aren't in control of that brand. And it sounds weird because you may own a business or you may own a product and you say, well, I don't own that brand. Well, who owns the brand is people that buy it, right? And the, the consumers, the, the public, mm. the audience. And they are gonna choose whether it's successful or not. All you can do is provide opportunities for them to like you, right. to and connect with you, to engage with you. And that's by delivering on your promise and what you say you're gonna do for them. I'm gonna give you a great quality shoe that's gonna make you feel athletic and, and, mm -hmm. and, and great about yourself. Now, whether you put those shoes on and run or not, that's irrelevant. You can right. still buy them and it'll still make you feel like well, good about it. You know, It's like Tom's, you know, you buy a pair of shoes and then it helps somebody else. I mean, the Tom's may not look that good on your feet, but you feel like I'm, I'm making a difference mm -hmm. in the world, you know? I just recently read a book, and I don't know if this is off point, but Ecologic by um, Daniel Goleman. He mm -hmm. talks about how the choices we make really do affect the planet and other things. But I think people want to feel like we do make a difference. And most of us just go about our day not thinking about branding. You know? We have a number of clients, industrial clients, who have made this transition to a greener way to do their jobs. And in the energy space, you you know, that's a big challenge, but they see that as the future. And oh, so it is. They're really focused on that. Yeah. Um, I think most of the generations coming up who are going to have the biggest wallets and the biggest budgets pretty quickly, uh, they make a number of their decisions based on a company's corporate approach to mm -hmm. making the world a better place. Mm -hmm. Especially the younger. I mean, the, the younger the, yeah. you go in that, the more that's irrelevant. Right. Uh, we've done so much research with younger audiences and they make a lot of their buying choices based on mm -hmm. their own personal beliefs and their core beliefs. And, and they will run away from something that has nothing to do with what they want the world right. to be like. I just interviewed Scott Angel, who y'all probably know. He was over Department of Natural Resources We work with his daughter. Yeah, that's true. Simone. Right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Right. Scott was That's his biggest claim to fame, by the way, is giving birth to Simone. Well, Simone. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, we need to tell him that, too. <laughs> I do every chance I get. <laughs> what he was saying was young conservatives, in particular, the up-and-coming policymakers, really want to see our planet being respected and saved. So I can see how a messaging of a company 
would resonate with people that don't just care about does this work, but is it also destroying the planet as we produce it? You know, well that corporate stewardship and citizenship and um, desire to make the world a better place really surpasses party affiliation. Um, I see right. it just as much on the left and the right, uh, Democrats and conservatives, uh, Republicans and and um, progressives alike. There is a big push now to fix the planet mm -hmm. and to support companies that are doing something towards that end. It's huge. Right. And so when we talk about brand building, if, if a company doesn't align with a consumer's belief system, they're not going to sell products. Well, that's, and that comes into the, the market itself because you may be, as a business person, you may say, well, I don't believe in that or I don't want to do that or whatever. Your audience may believe in that. And you right. have to decide how you want how you're going to pay your bills. You know, do you want to not, not cater as much to, but listen to your audience and give them what they want and what mm -hmm. they need? Um, you can resist that, and you can stand them in the line and, and draw a line in the sand and say, "Well, I'm not doing that." Your choices have consequences. You know, and you're going to have to decide mm -hmm. on what you want to do with all that. I don't know if that makes sense. What I said. Well, how, how do you counsel your clients? Like, let's say here in Lafayette. You know, I've. I've had so many interesting interviews in the past, and one of them was Catherine Como talking about no waste Louisiana mm -hmm. and talking about restaurants. You know, it's more expensive many times to make eco-friendly choices like, you know, cutlery that won't be plastic and, and kill the turtles and all that stuff, you know, and she's like, you have to make a decision. But how do you counsel your clients? Because I'm assuming Lafayette's probably not that different. From other towns? Oh, I mean, it's are, vastly different. Well, um, well, let's talk about that. So 80% of our clients are out of market. What and, does that mean? Um, oh, they're not in Lafayette. 80% of our business. Brand yes, 80% of the people we do work for, oh. marketing-wise, 80% of our revenue comes from people who do not have an office in the state of Louisiana. Really? Yes. Oh, my goodness. And has been for years. Okay. Sometimes a little higher, sometimes a little lower, but we tend to hover right about that 80% mark. So we import money into this community because all of our employees are local taxpayers. And a lot of employees. Yeah, we do. We're very yeah. fortunate. We have some great mm -hmm. employees, uh, but our clients are out of there. So we take that money and we bring it here, which I think is a good thing. Uh, but I would tell you that in some markets, uh, corporate stewardship is the top priority of what consumers care about. In some industries and some communities, it's a very low priority. And so what we do is we start with our razor branding process talking to clients about who their target audience really mm -hmm. is. And then we go talk to those people to find out what they really care about. What is their perception of our client, of the industry, of the competition, of their own challenges and pain points? And then we can message how oh. our client solves that problem. Are the clients honest with you? Do you find... Uh... No. Well, they think they are. They think they are. But they don't want we, to be rude. No, they, they tell us what they believe is their brand. They tell us what they think people think of them. And then when we go ask those people, we often find out there's a big gap between what clients think people think of them and what people actually think of them. Where's the disparities? Like, if you can talk about this, is fascinating. You know, well, it's, it's it happens. It happens. I say good and bad. I mean, there's um, we've done several recently, really big projects for really big companies and um, work that we're very proud of. And some of them have been all on board. They're like, man, we never saw that coming. Or because we found because we we do a lot of uh, we call it psychographic profiling and research, mm -hmm. where we go in and we talk to employees, we talk to staff, we talk to people that answer the phone. We 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 want to get to know everybody and we want to find out. You know, what what are your competitors doing? What what does the space look like? And sometimes we'll put things back to them and we'll say, look, here's the problem. All these people are saying this about you. 
And, and they're, they'll, again, they, they have a choice to make at that point. They can either walk away from that and just yeah. keep going, or they can mm-hmm. say, let me make some adjustments, or let, mm-hmm. let me let me see what I can do internally to fix those things. Maybe it's an internal problem. Maybe the staff's unhappy. And Maybe that's the management quality. isn't yeah. managing. It could be a yeah. cultural problem. Mm-hmm. It could be a product issue that they, they didn't see coming, you know? Uh-huh. And so that's when we talk about the holistic part of the branding. It, it's, it could be how they're answering their phone. This girl that answers the phone or boy answers the phone and they are rude constantly. That's the whole company though. That's the image it could of the shut company. Down. Yeah, it, it could right. be a really big problem. And mm-hmm. it, you know, it's something as small as that. So well, and the biggest challenge or, or benefit, depending on how you look at it, is consumers have all the power now. They have the ability to communicate their experience. And a lot of companies these days have built their business on that feedback. Look at Airbnb and Uber. Mm-hmm. You have to give ratings, right? So the driver rates the passenger, the passenger rates the driver, and now everybody knows, do I want that driver? Do I want that passenger? So this crowdsourcing of reviews and this ability to use a megaphone like social media to tell the world via a Facebook review or a Google review, companies can't tell you what to think of them anymore. Companies have to earn your opinion. Mm-hmm. They don't get to tell you what to think. And third parties, their opinion almost means a lot more than just some completely rating means more. that maybe you know. And, and some... I, granted, it's not always fair. I mean, right. you may have somebody that had a bad experience somewhere, mm-hmm. and it wasn't anybody's fault. It was something that happened. Like we talk about that a lot. Like touch points, right? You have touch points with your business. How, how many times does somebody come in contact with you? Phone call, business. That they get an ad. They, how many times do they see you? Right. Well, one of those touch points can be weather. Let's say you have an outdoor venue and it rained on Saturday, and somebody had a miserable time, but they spent tons of money getting there. They showed up. It was miserable. They're there was irritated. bugs. Yeah. Now they're angry at this place. It is not that place's fault. <laughs> they did not right. mean for it to rain. But how did that place handle that situation? Mm-hmm. Did they did they have a process in place? Did they follow up properly? Did they did they provide refunds? Did they did they you know how were they managing the situation? But again, life sometimes throws at you. Sometimes it's just right. unfair. And you got to, how do you deal with it? How do you manage it? Right. And one of the biggest challenges is perception. Uh, we'll have a client who gets a bad review. And the bad review is, this company did these five things wrong. Well, the client has footage. They have time-stamped interactions. They have a thread of technology to show them exactly mm-hmm. what happened. And the client's, I mean, the customer's perception is not reality. But how do you handle that yeah, if you exactly. know they're like fudging on what happened? Well, it's it's their know? perception. They like, for example, a restaurant. They actually think it took fifty-seven minutes for that food to come to the table. But if I go back and pull the ticket, I can see the order was placed at this time, mm-hmm. and the food was expoed at that time. It was twenty-two minutes, not fifty-seven minutes. But it felt like fifty-seven minutes. Sure. Yeah. Sure, right. and that's the challenge. Uh huh. Because you've got to then help your client mm-hmm. resuscitate their reputation. Absolutely, it's ownership. I mean, you take got to you got to own the problems, just like the good mm-hmm. things. You know, it, we all live in a perfect world, but I mean, things go bad. I mean, mm-hmm. you have a, you can't control everything that goes on, and so when you own those problems and you you're upfront with it and you apologize and you have a relationship with your audience, it's easier for them to forgive you. You know, that, that's yeah. the whole thing. It's like if, you, if you're able to connect with them and they know you, I mean, it's easy to forgive a friend, right, when they make a mistake. But if they're a stranger, mm-hmm. it's hard to forgive. It's like, I'm moving on. I'm done. I have no relationship. So when you guys studied all this, I mean, I can't imagine that you were taught how to deal with personal problems of your clients when you were back in school, I'm saying. No. You know, you've got over 20 years each of experience. How did you learn all this? Is this just common sense for you, the way you think? You know, because a lot of us don't have this common sense about how to resuscitate reputations of a business. I think it's a couple of things. I mean, there's definitely some 
kind of marketing and branding 101 and what we do. It's just, this is the basics of it. You know, it's what you would teach, you would learn in class. Then there's some of our own experiences working on the West Coast. Um, the agencies that I worked at, the way they did things was very different from Southern agencies. So I got to learn um, those comparison and contrasts. And then on the job training, you know, our industry went through a massive revolution in 2008 when mm-hmm. social media was created. And so it was no longer buy TV spots, buy radio spots, right. customers come in. And that was, I, I was a media buyer. I mean, that was my training. We were doing millions of dollars a year in media buying business now we're not. Mm-hmm. And so to transition with that, it was about realizing the strategic brand planning process will make or break a company. Uh, you would never build a structure without a blueprint, without an engineer's mm-hmm. plans, an architect's plans, a designer's plans, electrician, plumbing. Everybody's got to have their plans. Those plans have to be overlaid, and this is how it's going to be built. People don't build their businesses that way, unfortunately. And so they're very reactive with their marketing decisions. Oh, I have to use social media today because I haven't done it for two weeks. No, sir. That is not the way to do it. And that sounds like me. Well, it's everybody. (laughs) That is everybody's reaction. Right. (laughs) And so when we can be proactive, when we can plan ahead, when we Mm -hmm. can treat the building of the business and the building of the brand like the building of a building, it is so much Mm -hmm. more effective, so much less expense, and such a better return on that investment. You know... I'm showing my age here. It's it's very difficult for me to think in these terms because I, you know, came up as a lawyer in the '80s, and I think about my husband, who's two years older than me. Never, he's never been on Facebook. I, I put a little Facebook page for their business with, and I made a little logo, which you would probably, you know, hate. I can't draw, so I wouldn't judge. Well, I, I mean, I just did it on Canva or something, but it's not even doesn't look like anything. But people will look at it on. Facebook, and I'm like, oh no, we don't have anything on it. But they look at, if they meet one of us, I guess they'd look it up. But it's so difficult to think about established attorneys, CPAs, doctors, people that don't even think about the need to market themselves. You know, are we just going to be left in the dust? Is that kind of, are we just going to be dinosaurs that yes. trudge off, you know, at some point? I mean, if you've built and enough... And I mean that sincerely. And like, I we're, do we're not, most, most people aren't going to change like this. Well, if you've built enough of a business, mm-hmm. you're fine. Yeah, because he doesn't really need, no, I mean, he likes work, it. but he doesn't need more work. Yeah, then you're fine. Yeah. But the people who are coming up, you have to have that website and that social media to be, presence to be, to be legitimate. Otherwise, you look shady. And there, and, and there's some truths to old school advertising. And I, I was, I went to um, UL USL time, and um, I studied under um, a professor named Dutch Kepler. Mm-hmm. And um, he retired a few years after I got out of school, and I was really fortunate to have him. Um, I heard he's the uh, best, huh? Huh? I think you'd mentioned him, Jackie, oh, in yes. one of your um, prior yeah. interviews. Yeah, so. no, I, I mean, we, we fought a lot. He was very hard. Oh. Um, like we had like maybe 15, 20 kids in our class, and five graduated by the time we were done. Wow, it was it was a really survivor. tough. Yeah, yeah, it was, but it was it was worth those growing pains. But part of the things that we learned through that time was, was storytelling, messaging, mm-hmm. how to communicate, um, being conceptual with your creativity. You know, to tell a story. And um, but some of those old school mentalities are still here. Which is what I was getting to was. Um, um, word of mouth advertising. That is mm-hmm. that is the best, that huh? is the golden rule, right? Like a plumber. And we all want you, that. you know, I'm not yeah. gonna look at an ad. I'm calling my friends. Exactly. And when somebody problems. tells you, and they, and when people get excited about a product and they have ownership, they first thing they want to do is go tell somebody. Yeah. Let me tell you about this thing I saw. Let me tell you about the movie I saw last night. Let me tell you about this restaurant I had. You got to try it. They want to be mm-hmm. the first ones to tell you about it, and you want to be. And all of a sudden, you're part of that community, part of that tribe, right? Well, that still works. But sometimes it's got to be helped along a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and that's kind of what we talk about with our process, raising branding. It's 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 putting things in place to help 
that loyalty and that eventual advocacy take place. Right. And that's from a big giant company all the way down to the small mom and pop down the street. They all have those same principles. Kind of like Jackie was saying, it's even more important locally, you know, for people to talk mm-hmm. good about you. So if you don't have all the, the tools and stuff, if, if you're lucky enough to have a family business that's well known, like yeah. I, mean, I think old time grocery, for example, right? Yeah. I mean, when JB this was college. Mouton. You know, yeah. like people that have been in business There's people for that are five just, generations. You know, and as long as they keep doing what they're doing, they keep providing great food, great, mm-hmm. they're, they're honoring their Quality. promise to their customers. People are going to keep talking about them, people are going back to them. You know, that, that is the golden rule, right? We can't fix that. You can't come in and run a great ad campaign and make people forget that they have bad food. It's not going to happen. So they've got to have, they got to keep that yeah. going. Now, for people entering the market, new businesses that don't have that equity, mm-hmm. you know, they have to go find ways to, to generate it. Right. There will be a time, sooner rather than later, that somebody will come for JB Mouton. They'll come for them. They will be a contender. Someone will build up enough of a book of business. They will utilize some of the new marketing um, and they, there will be some head-to-head competition. So when I look at the great work that Lenny Lemoyne and J.B. Mouton, mm-hmm. some of these stalwarts in the community have done, their place in our history is secure. They've built Lafayette. But if they, if they don't stay on top of it, they won't continue to be on top. Mm-hmm. And I know they do social media and sure. all. I didn't mean to call them out. I don't oh, really no. know what their marketing plan we is. We don't either. But, no, <laughs> yeah, but I know that they've just been doing the best they can and delivering quality year yeah. after that, year, that generation. I mean, it matters yeah. to you. It matters. I mean, you know, yeah. your, your value, those things. Talk about earlier, like value of a brand and the price. Um, I think, was it Best Buyer? There was a mm-hmm. story along back. I don't know. You can tell it. I'll, I'll mess it up. Okay, well, I was just going to say this real quick. That was kind, Michael. He's very good about that. Um, When you have uh, one or two companies delivering high quality, then that's enough. When you have eight or ten companies delivering high quality, it's not enough anymore. You have to distinguish yourself. You have to find a way to separate yourself from the pack. The story that Michael uh, was referring to that's one of my favorites, uh, Best Buy and Circuit City were in that kind of knockdown drag out back in the day. Circuit City. And Circuit City just followed Best Buy around. They would just build right across the street or down the block. like McDonald's and Burger King. Absolutely. They didn't have to pay site selectors. They just used the site that's already been selected. Um, And what happened was Best Buy found this huge expense in the restocking fees. Uh, the people they were mailing coupons out to were coming in and only buying sale items and then returning them later. And Best Buy was losing the war. And so they brought in a new chief marketing officer who said, we're not doing this anymore. We're gonna not try to compete on best service, best products. Everybody's got the same service. Everybody's got the same products. We have to be different. They revamped their store. They revamped their marketing efforts. They stopped mailing to people who were doing returns all the time. Mm -hmm. They stopped sending um, circulars to zip codes that were not providing them with a high profit margin. And they turned their store around. And they survived. Well, I was going to say, look at where Circuit City is now. Well, they got rid of the... um, Reactional versus... Um, yeah. So they really focus on building a relationship versus a transaction. Do you help your clients with that? Do you oh, look at their absolutely. business model? I mean, we're talking about branding, but also this is just business. That is a brand. I mean, yeah. you can't build a brand without building a business. And you can't sell more products without getting your stuff straight. And so we, we secret shop them. We secret shop the competition. We really have to dig deep to say, this is your true point of differentiation. It's not your people because your people can leave. It's not service. Everybody delivers good service. It's not price. Mm-hmm. You don't want to compete on those levels. You have to do more. You have to be better. Yeah, I mean, for us, I mean, you know, like we, we, the book we were talking about earlier, he said, she said, branding. We talk a lot about that in the book. It's a two-sided coin. It's creative and strategy. And that's been our makeup as a company. Um, it's made. I think it's made us successful until now. Hopefully we keep, keep that up. But 
Fingers um, crossed. Yeah. But Jack and I, for as much as we, and if you have anybody that ever worked for us, we have really contentious meetings sometimes. And you sometimes do. it's very heated. You get challenged um, a lot. Yeah, we both do because we both have different goals at times. And like if you're a purely creative viewpoint, you want to have, you know, I want it to be this and it's going to be awesome and fun and all this stuff. But there's no strategy behind it. It's just kind of, it's, mm-hmm. it's entertaining. How many Super Bowl ads have you watched and said, oh my God, it was so funny, but have you ever bought their product? No. Probably no, not. Right. You know what I'm saying? So there's got to be some substance in there, something to make you want to go out and do that. And the same thing the other way around. If it's just strategic and it doesn't say anything and it doesn't get you emotionally connected, then it's worthless uh-huh. too. So we try to combine those two things, you know, and make it to where it's not just about cost. It's not just about value. A lot of people, you know, I don't know how many banks we work with or, or hospitals and they come in and say, well, we have the best service and we have the best of this. So does everybody else. And you can't, you can say it, but you're, so is this guy saying it, that guy saying it, and that guy saying mm-hmm. it. What are you saying that's different? And we talk about that a lot. It's called change the conversation. How do you change the conversation from what's already being said? Because it's all been said, right? Right. We're not reinventing the wheel here. So right. how do we say it differently? How do we put it upside down and say, look at it now. Does it look different? Do you, do you like it mm-hmm. now? Before we get into more of the book, um, I'd like to pause because this is really the meat of the conversation about what your book is about. I'd like to take a break and listen back to a clip from my first interview with Jackie Russo when she appeared on Discover Lafayette along with Craig Wall, uh, who teaches speech and debate at Turlings. We spoke of many things, past and present, and how people have always used media to get their message out. But in this clip, Jackie, you're looking back at 2008, you just mentioned, when social media really spiked in popularity. You can listen to this interview along with about 220 others at discoverlafayette.net. Let's take a listen. And Jackie, you're the social media expert. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'll pick up right where Craig left off. So um, I take us back to 08, not as far back as he does in the civic side of the history lesson, but the social media history. Mm -hmm. 08 is when it left college campuses. It became a part of the business environment. People were able to have personal accounts that were professionals. And we saw it start to really permeate into the business world. And so it was in May of 08 that I started doing a show on KPL that I still do every week on Mondays called Brand Buzz, talking about social media and how businesses can use social media properly. The first three years, every week, I talked about a different new social media app. It had just launched what its benefits were, what its challenges were, and how a business could use it. That's every week for three years. That's amazing. That's 150-something weeks of new app, new app, and then six months later, that one's gone. New app, new app. Mm -hmm. And now, I haven't had to cover a new app in a long time, but the apps themselves change so much. But what we see, and this happens whether it's teenager to teenager or adult to adult or business to person, we see the insulation behind the keyboard and behind the screen allows people to write things that they would never say in person, that they would never say face to face. And so I think we really saw in the last election cycle from the 16 presidential election through the 19 Mm -hmm. state and local elections, those three years, massive drop off in civility and unbelievable increase in anger. Welcome back to Discover Lafayette. I'm here with Jackie and Michael Russo, authors of He Said, She Said Branding, and also the co-founders of Brand Russo, a strategic branding agency in Lafayette. So the book looks like it's, you can read it in a couple of sittings. It looks like it's easy to tackle. But you also talk about in it, you know, what it's like to be in business 
while being married and raising children, if you want to talk about that, like how do you keep it all together? Well, we wanted the book to be something that people could digest without being too complicated. It's not war and peace. Um, it's no, not a complicated concept. I can read it without my glasses. Yeah, right. it's, it's, it's not a novella, and you know we, we definitely. <laughs> you know, although I, I will say though, for is when I got it when we got it back from the publisher and we looked at it, I was kind of disappointed because I was like, oh my god, it's like a pamphlet. You know, it's and not really. I know it's a hundred no? what fifty pages or so. Yeah, but um, it's but, more like but I'll tell you this much mm-hmm. for everybody that said man, I want to write a book one day, but I never get to it. It's because it's hard. Yeah, it is yeah. so hard to actually sit down and make sense of it and put your words together to where, and without it just running on and whatnot. And I think we did a good good job of that. We had a good publishing team and Jack and I both worked well together kind of organizing our thoughts. And it tells a good story of, of who we are which is important to why we're why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. How does why does our process look better than everybody else's or work differently? We have again, we haven't reinvented the wheel. We just do it our way. And it works, you know, and it wouldn't work the same way if we weren't married and we weren't um, opposite sides of the same coin. Uh, you know, for us, creative without strategy is just art. Mm-hmm. Uh, but creative with strategy is advertising. And so when we look at the duality of branding, it's got to be both. And so he manages how things sound and how things look and make sure that they are at the top of their game at all times. And I manage the strategic side of that. And those two things together, that duality is the duality of our relationship. We are the opposites who have attracted all day long. We have nothing in common. There's no reason why this should work, but it does. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking back. I know you saw Mad Men. Yes. Okay, that last episode where... You know, that hunk <laughs> was coming up with the theme song from right. Coke. Right. I'd like to teach the world to sing. And it's like brilliant. And some I'm sure some things just bubble up in your heads without it making sense, but it works. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, you've got to just be so creative. Right. Because someone that thinks like me, I think I'm more of a, um, even with this podcast, you guys might appreciate this. I was so more worried about what the name was going to be and some of the details. But people tell me, just start work and get your content. And then it really flowed once I started seeing, okay, this is what I want this to be. I want to highlight the wonderful people in our community. But I was looking at it more linear. And a lot of this has to be just totally from a different side of the brain, right? Yes and yes and no. Like Actually, in the last chapter of the book, I talk about that. And it's about our perception of creativity. And we really try to talk to our staff about that and our team, that people think of creativity and they think of being an artist. It's two different things, right? I mean, I can paint. So I'm, I can I have artistic abilities with that. That doesn't make me creative. Creative is how you solve problems. And you're ah. a problem solver. And, and you, you do it every day in your life. You have kids. You run, you run a business. You're, you help you this. You help that. You built this house. You're a problem solver. And how was your creative approach to that? You know, that's creativity. You know, and I think Jackie, like you're talking about how you come up with good ideas. She's much better at that than I am. She comes up with, with good one hit. Like she's, <laughs> she's a, well, she's a great yeah. consultant. Yes. She's, she's a really, if you, if you get her in a room, you ever get a chance and she's really good at that. She, um, she can just spout off ideas and they're all pretty good. Some of them are bad, but well, some of them are good, but, but they, but they, but she's she, saying no. she's quick on her, she's quick, quick on her thoughts. Right. I'm mm-hmm. not that way. I need to process things. I need to go home, sit in a quiet room. I need to be in a quiet, I, I need to have no distractions. A butterfly comes by, I'm chasing it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I need to have more time to come up with ideas and to think things through. She's a quick thinker. So it's about, sometimes it's just about solving problems. How are you a better, are you a better solve, problem solver? 
So I could be creative even if I can't sketch. You are creative. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's like, I think people get lost in that word and mm-hmm. they think it's some kind of magical thing. Oh, you're creative. So you have to wear dark clothes and paint yeah. your hair purple. You don't have to, you, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't always work. Um, when I was in school, uh, Elmore Morgan was the painting teacher mm-hmm. there, right? And if you ever met him, he looked like a school teacher. He wore white button down shirts and a black tie. And he was just the most amazing man. And he used to talk about it all the time. He's like, you know, like painting is not... And he was a master. I, I'm a, just a huge fan. I was so lucky to have classes with him. And uh, But he, he was like, you know, this is not magic. We're learning how to do it. You know, the creativity comes in how you solve mm-hmm. the problems. If I'm looking at something, how do I solve this problem? And that could be on a canvas. It could be at your work site. It could be or how you... in this book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you guys must have boiled down in this re- readable book, um, 20 Years in Business, but you had to come up with your best practices, right? Like what, what, maybe you can talk about some of those and what inspired you to finally write a book? Well, we went through a very lengthy process of truly defining how we do what we do. And we did that 15 years ago. Um, and we said, okay, we're the way we approach solving our clients' problems and putting together these strategic brand plans, it's different than other people. And so we mapped it out trademarked it. It's called Razor Branding. And that's what we've been doing ever since. And so for us to take that and bring it into the book now, that was the easier step. When Forbes um, Advantage Media approached us and said, we really, you know, we're looking for successful businesses. We want to bring in what you do. Um, we thought, oh man, now we have to try to figure all this out. But it was it was during 2020. It was kind of a perfect time. Oh yeah, it was. Huh? Because we said, okay, well, this is a pandemic project. We can kind of get our heads around. And so Michael's right. We had an amazing editorial team and they guided us through it. To be able to put it all down on paper, I think that Michael especially had some concerns that we're giving away all the trade secrets. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I can hand anybody the recipe, but that doesn't mean they can cook the dish. Mm-hmm. And so I felt confident in us putting the recipe in the book, and some people may be able to take it and run with it, and more power to them, that's awesome. Some people already have come back to us and said, hey, we need you to do this for us. We're like, mm-hmm. yeah, no problem. Yeah, and we literally, the book is literally our process. Yeah, <laughs> it is? Yeah. yeah, we don't hide anything. It, it is it's focus, connection, harmony is our three uh, focuses. There you go. It's promise. four core focus, elements. Promise, focus, connection, promise, harmony. connection, harmony. Very we, good. We, one was buried inside the other. We opened it back up. Anyway, it was a long story. Yeah. But, uh, but, but and we have this, um, these... Um, uh, Eight principles of branding, and um, it's 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 just like I said, it's all basically put into um, book format. But it's stuff that we we've had on our walls forever, you know. So focus. I guess people have to first realize who they are and who their customer is. Right. Well, you're you're like Michael was saying. It's not just who you are, but does anybody care what you do if they don't like it? Absolutely. You know. So, and most companies, no matter what industry they're in, no matter how big they've gotten, no matter what uh, market they they live in and work in, they think their audience is this wide. And we have to remind them, nope, it's very narrow. And that's okay? Oh, it has to be. Mm -hmm. The more you can be targeted and specific, the more what you say is going to resonate and the the easier it is for you to be successful. It's hard to be successful when your audience is wide. It's very easy when it's targeted. Well, I mentioned Coca-Cola earlier, and I remember, y'all might not have remembered that, but back, was it in the 80s or when they changed the formula oh, for yes. Coke. Mm-hmm. And people, my best friend was like a Coke addict. Not literally, on, she's never done drugs, right. but drank Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola yeah, not Diet Coke. She right. drank Coca-Cola every day. And overnight, they changed the formula. And that, that was like, oh no, 
It felt like she, you know, but what they the betrayed. Ended, they betrayed the trust with their consumer. She felt betrayed. Yes. That, like, how could they promise. do that? Yeah. Why did they have to do that? Right. You know, all these emotional responses. And I know that they backed up pretty quickly and said, oh, well, we... Now we'll some say it was all planned. Coke some say it was all planned because at the time Pepsi was gaining ground on them, and that's and impossible actually surpassing, to think about. Yeah. <laughs> Pepsi over Coke. Yeah, but that's you know because I like Coke. But there's some areas Coke. of the but country that that where gotta, Pepsi is the big seller. Well, you got to right think now. that was Pepsi challenge with Michael Jackson. That right. was that was oh a big deal. Oh my god, I forgot deal. about that. Yeah, yeah, I mean they were really on the. On, and he and was the coolest Eisner thing. Was there? Too. I think or what was his name? Um, who was at Coke? Who was Pepsi? He left Pepsi to go to Apple. Steve Jobs. No, Steve Jobs is guy that. Kick that fire Steve Jobs. I don't know Apple's oh corporate. My God, I'm a PC. Remember, you're this a Mac. Is Mac I'm a PC. Legend stuff. I am not a Mac Legend. All right. Anyway, he Steve Jobs went and hired um, the so Pepsi. Genius. Yes. To come up Marketing with this guy. fiasco that actually got people. Everybody was talking about it, Coke. It, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Gosh. Anyway, I think about these things and how important it is. But um, what um, what are some of the maybe the highlights of your book? Are there a couple of things that you think people might want to buy the book and read more about? I mean, I think it's great to understand the process uh, because if you are very reactive in your marketing, you want to be proactive. And so this book will guide you step-by-step mm-hmm. on how to do that. Uh, we do share a couple of customer stories of exactly the challenges they had and how we fixed it using this process. And then I think there's just some fun little anecdotes about what it's like for a married couple um, to <laughs> live and work together. Yeah, and, it's, and disagree it's, on things, you know, yeah, all the and, time. And it's written that way. Um, we are literally, we each kind of take a chapter. And mm-hmm. then there's, um, whenever somebody seems to go awry, we have inner, like little inner monologues mm-hmm. going on inside Usually when Michael says something that's not accurate and I have to correct him, that's what yeah. you see in the book. It happens quite often. All the time. I hate to say that, Michael, but it's like that at my home too. All the time. Yeah. So are people, you know, I know TV's still there. And um, I also just interviewed Sandra Chalik, who runs KTC, and he was talking about this, that social media has just upended traditional media sources such as TV and radio. But people still watch TV. They listen mm, to the radio. Of course. But they're on Facebook 24-7 and all. Do you go into that in the book? Like, are you still placing ads on TV for your clients? Is we, that- we are media agnostic. In my mind... Agnostic. Yeah. Huh. For some clients... TV is absolutely the perfect answer. Mm -hmm. Uh, For some clients, it's a billboard. For some clients, it's social media or digital. There's no one-size-fits-all right answer. It's about who is your target audience and where do they spend their time. Because I'm thinking the age group, like, you know, if you're you're a nursing home and you want to get out the word, you're probably going to be on the 6 o'clock news or something. Right. And the newspaper. And the newspaper. Well, you say that, but then... It's not. It's not necessarily the nursing home age. You're talking about the kids. The kids that are making the choices homes. for where their parents. Are they, where are they living? And mm-hmm. you know that could be a whole other thing. But you got again. It comes with. You talk about that. And so it's um, not either or. It's and. Yeah. Correct. Right. Well, the, the focus, connection, promise, and harmony. The, those address the who, the what, mm-hmm. why, the why, and the where. Mm-hmm. And without, if you're missing one of those elements. It, chances are, it's not going to work. Hmm. It's going to fall apart. You could waste your money. Yeah. So who are you talking to? Why should they pay attention? What do you say to them, and where do you put the message? Mm-hmm. It's kind of basic. And it's but you get into the really lately. It's the where is the hard part, but you can't answer the where without the why and the how and the who. You know what I'm saying? Because the where is huge. Right. How many social media channels? How many TV? How many network? How many you know mm-hmm. radio stations? All that stuff. Digital like, ads, yeah. email. I'm like I am a lover. I love radio. I'm, I love writing for radio because you can paint any picture you want and let people imagine it, and mm-hmm. you can use great voices and so much fun. 
And I still love radio. I still push it because we have a huge radio market here in South Louisiana. People love the radio stations. They do. Mm-hmm. They really do. Totally. Yeah. And it's, High it's time a writer's spent dream. Listening. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm unfortunately, though, around. Yeah. yeah. You get a lot of people yelling on the radio. Unfortunately, it's like buy it now, Monday, Monday, Monday. You know, and it's like repetition isn't always the right thing. Like the, the golden rule of advertising, you got to say your name five times. You got to have your phone number three times. You got to have your website. Six, like there's these rules that they follow when they write these scripts. And I'm like that, that, that world has changed though. You have to tell stories. You have to tell your story. You have to tell things that are going to provide some emotional content that right. people can engage with you. Like I'm thinking of automobiles. We have some big automobile dealers here and all their current woes aside, you know, with the computer chip right. shortage mm-hmm. and the, the shortage in inventory, where what's the best place for car dealers to be advertising? Where, where do people look? Well, for I, cars? I actually think before they start to run an ad, they need to take a step back and assess why somebody should buy a car from them. Okay. Um, so if you are a car dealer, and we're just talking new cars for a right, minute, right? Um, you have an exclusivity within so many miles to sell that um, model, uh-huh. that make and model here, right, make and model, right? Although I can go get that exact same make and model on the internet Mm -hmm. from anywhere in the country assuming there's fully stock like we used to be and will be again soon Um, if you are selling a used car there's only one there's only one car exactly like that on the market right now new there's dozens of them but used because every used car is individual Mm -hmm. when you look at what's happening right now with the deliver to your home I don't need a dealership systems if these dealerships are going to survive, they have to do business differently. Um, the the and people fight that, you know, that the oh, traditional sure. dealerships want to have sure. showrooms. And sure, and you still can, but you land. have to find a way to connect with people differently. Uh-huh. You make them go there and then test drive and then sweat it out while you go get a better price from your manager. That's not going to work anymore with this consumer. They're not playing that way. Way too smart. They've yeah. already done their research. They walk in knowing that the guy down the street has it for this price. I can tell you an inventory um, model number, stock number of every dealership in the country for this specific make mm-hmm. model of car. Mm-hmm. So I don't need you anymore. You don't keep me from the information. I have more information before I see you. And this is 10 years ago. So today, when you look at the people that, that literally pull up to your house and put the new car in your driveway, you didn't have to leave. You can do everything online. Dealerships have to compete against that. And not just Tesla. You're talking about other... I mean, Carvana. I mean, CarMax. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are a dozen... I've never dealt with them. They make it so easy. And you own it. Like you want like a 2017 white can You can do any any make or model. Uh And so what happens is they bring it to you. You drive it. You like it. You keep it. You don't. You give it back to me. You get to give it back? Yes. There's a seven-day guarantee. I'm not promoting that style of car no, no, buying no, right now. Saying, I don't even know all this, but right. the people that are really we're shopping. We're fortunate. We just love four cars. We're big in the used car market these days. <laughs> mm-hmm. Real big. Yeah, and used. Right. And so what happens is if, if, if we're looking for a Honda Civic mm-hmm. and nobody locally has a Honda Civic with the mileage and price that I'm looking for, I have 49 other states to get that Honda Civic from. And it's two seconds to download the app, push the button, pay the deposit, they deliver it to me. Mm-hmm. And that's where people, I mean, look at how we deliver food and deliver groceries. And the, we have become the people in Wally. You know, we roll around in our chairs and everything we want comes right to us. 
we're there. Right. Well, it, it affects our, it's affecting our industry right now. I mean, I'm in advertising, right? And um, you can go online mm-hmm. and plug in three words and get a logo produced for you. Mm-hmm. You can, um, I mean, go out and crowdsource your information, have people submit things and pick the one you like best. And it, it, it's, it's an easier entry into the field. All I need is a laptop and a book that talks about advertising. And I can follow that recipe and, and, pretend, and be an advertising person. But what you're missing, though, is the experience. The direction. The, direction, the strategy. The consultancy. Yeah. Somebody who's telling you, this is, this is what I'm, I, I know this is the right choice because I've seen it over and over mm-hmm. again. You're, I'm giving you my specialty for that versus somebody that's just kind of guessing. Yeah. Well, you can and go you to WebMD and diagnose yourself or yeah. you can go to a doctor and get a real diagnosis. Mm-hmm. It's the right. same thing in every industry. Right. Yeah. So things have evolved so much. As we wind down, I kind of want you to give your thoughts on that. Your world has changed along with all the rest of us, mm-hmm. but you've got to stay on the tip top edge of what the market wants, that's, no matter what the industry. That's the beauty of doing a weekly radio show and a weekly mm-hmm. podcast and a weekly blog is we have to stay up to date on it because we have to tell people what is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way any one person can keep track of every new social media. Uh, so I go through and review it and tell you, oh, you need to jump on Clubhouse. If you have this kind of business or this kind of target audience, Clubhouse is important for you. I spent six months on there. I can tell you how it works mm-hmm. and whether or not it's good. When are you on KPL? Um, it's interesting. We um, They've shifted a little bit now. It used to be Monday mornings. Uh, now they've had me pre-record uh, like 10 different uh, tips and tricks mm-hmm. and, and lessons, and they're running them in oh, rotation, okay. and then we'll go do another section. So that's 96.5 locally Correct. in our Lafayette market. Correct. And then you issue that. You have a podcast weekly, you're saying? Razor Branding podcast. Y'all do it together? We mm-hmm. do. Um, Michael is adorable, Michael. Uh-huh. Michael produces it, and I'm uh, on on air talent. Uh-huh. And then you also have your blog. Correct. Razor Branding blog. So where do people go for Brand Russo? Like, how can they find out Brandrusso.com. Just kind of Yeah, Google and it gets that. all there. Brandrusso.com. Uh-huh. Go straight to it. Uh, the book can be bought from Amazon or locally at Beausoleil Books downtown. Cool. And then do you have another book in the works? <laughs> we do. So, you know, we talked about what our goals were for the book, and I had much higher expectations than Michael. Um, <laughs> Michael. As is usually the case. I, I, to preface this real quick, nothing to interrupt, but they, you know, I am, I am in the wrong business for self-promotion. I do not like self-promotion. I do not like having my name. I don't like public displays of anything. I don't want to, I'm not on social media. The only time I get people to follow me is because they follow her and they'll follow Mm -hmm. me. I don't post regularly. So I am not a self-promoter, even though I like to promote other people, you know? So, so this has been really challenging. Um, Jackie is not a retiring person. She, she, you seem to enjoy. I do. Sharing, but you share your expertise and I'm I'm kind of ribbing you, but I mean it with respect. I will talk about anything anybody wants anytime. I love it. If I could be a professional speech and debater, uh, which is what I did in high school and college, I I would do it every day. Seventh in the nation. Absolutely. Thank you for remembering. I appreciate that. That Uh warms my heart. Yes. Um, But to to Michael's point, one of us has to be out there talking. So I Mm -hmm. drew the long straw and won and got to do it. Thank goodness. But when Mm -hmm. when we started selling books and all of a sudden we sold more than people we know. So people we don't know are buying the book. And people are ordering it from Amazon. People are going to Beausoleil Books and buying it. and, And it's not because they're related to us. Like it's strangers that thought, I want to read this. And we've gotten great reviews from people we don't know. I saw that. Yeah. So then we get approached to do a second book. And so we're like, 
Well, yes, I said. And Michael's like, no. Well, the publishers worked with us over. Yeah. They fell in love with the whole, he said, she said, side of it. And they were like, oh my God, well, what else can you talk about? We all have and four children. Like, exactly. That's what the first, the next book is and about. You're remodeling your house. Well, we're not doing a book on that yet, but we might say. <laughs> that might be the third one. We, no. we have plenty of content. Right. We have, we have so lots much. of content. So we, we are about halfway through and it's he said, she said, babies. Babies. And it's about what it's like when you're married together and have a business together and have four babies in four years. We decided though, we talked about it. I was like, I decided, I think you agree with me. That's like, I don't, I, the process of doing that one and doing whatever else we do, like, I don't care if anybody reads, it's more therapeutic for us. And to have something about putting your words in print, it it becomes real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it comes, but it's forever. It's a journal. It's forever though. It's a published book. Mm -hmm. And it is real. Probably why one of our kids is threatening to sue us with a cease and desist order um, if we name her in the book. Personal. Yeah, so she'll forever just be number two. Mm-hmm. Unnamed. Yeah, we, 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 we cannot mention like names. an Austin yes. Powers movie. Exactly. Yeah. So we cannot name her number two, um, but she's in there. She People is can in there. Figured out somewhere, but if you do, I can't help that. No. But I, I mean, you're an attorney that protects us, right? Yeah. We're not naming her. I know. So Your I think kids we're fine. are lucky to have two vivacious parents who probably have taught them more than you'll ever realize we tell them that every day they don't believe it yet they will they will soon they will being business people together and staying married while you're remodeling and writing a book and all the things you do (laughs) i just i love this interview and and jackie you know you reached out to me i guess we did that in early 2020 the first interview right Mm -hmm. before the pandemic correct and i know that you were running for a position with the republican executive committee and um God bless you for doing that. Thanks. You know, that's a big job. But um, I think the real message of that first interview with you and Craig Wall was that we are losing the ability, because of the anonymity of social media, we're losing that civility that has always been important. And we looked back in that interview. I want people to go back and listen to it. We talked about even the days of George Washington and John Adams and all these people. They would still snipe each other. But it was done with a little bit more finesse. It was classier. You, know, you had to stand up and do it in public. You had to do it in front of somebody's face. But they and, still you know. were, they could be cutthroat. Sure. But it was in the newspaper and they would, you know, kind of think it out. There was focus and whatever all the other mm-hmm. yeah. th- the other three words were. But I thought that interview was really interesting too. And if anything, people are even more cutthroat today than they were Almost well, a year and a half ago. There's a developer who's willing to invest a quarter of a billion dollars or whatever it is into downtown Lafayette and build these two tall skyscrapers. If you read the comments, you would think he's trying to steal the town. And yet, whether you like the design of the buildings or not, whether you think Lafayette needs another car wash or Mexican restaurant or not, uh, this is someone who's willing to, to put big money into our community. Huge money. Huge yeah. money. And it is a catalyst for so much more growth, but... The, the keyboard warriors are at it. Um, and I think that's an unfortunate side effect of social media. Just like for teenagers, I teach a social media class for kids, um, middle school and junior high, and uh, about how to protect themselves and what parents need to do to protect their kids. And it's so crucial because when you don't see the reaction of someone and you don't see the hurt on their face, people write just horrible things. Yeah. Well, hopefully this will turn around at some point. You know, society goes through its ebbs and flows of behavior. So I'm hopeful that there may be some turnaround and it may be our children that can wake up and say, you know, enough is enough. So I want to thank you both, um, Jackie and Michael Russo. Thank you for taking time on this Tuesday afternoon at my home and among my pets. 
And I also mm-hmm. want to thank our listeners for taking time to listen. The Discover Lafayette is all about shining the light on the wonderful people in our community. And I'm really honored to have this opportunity to share the podcast. I couldn't do it without our sponsors. Iberia Bank, thank you so much. You now a division of First Horizon. You've been so loyal, grateful. And Oshner Lafayette General, thank you so much for your continued support. And of course, Raider and Jason Sikora, who makes our tape sound so professional. I'm grateful to you. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, this is Jan Swift. Thank you.